Welcome to Win Win, a podcast from the Department of Sport and Exercise Science at the Waterford Institute of Technology. I'm your host, Bruce Wardrop, and in each episode, I'll be chatting with someone who works behind the scenes in sport, helping athletes to maximize their performance potential. If my guest is winning, hopefully their athletes are winning too. In this episode, I am really thrilled to catch up with Neve Briggs, who is currently the head coach with UL Bowes Senior Women's Team, the backline coach with the Munster Senior Women's Team, and recently appointed head coach, assistant coach to the Ireland Women's Team for the 2022 Six Nations. Did I get all your rugby jobs in there, Neve? <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. It's uh, been a busy few months for sure. But um, yeah, look, I dived into this coaching thing very much head first so you certainly have you certainly have well first of all congratulations on well all of those appointments because they're relatively (laughs) recent but particularly the the Ireland job that's a a huge honor for you I'm sure yeah look it's huge it's not really something I envisaged when I thought about the pathway in coaching to happen so soon um but it's really cool I think um when I was playing I never really thought about coaching I never really thought about um the off the pitch stuff I just was so concentrated on playing and almost probably to a selfish degree I suppose and um and when I got injured and jumped in to help with a coaching uh UL Bowes back in 2018 19 I um was literally like couldn't understand how much I was getting such a buzz out of it and I loved it and I loved to see players improve and and women's rugby is really difficult from a club land because you have international players playing with players who've never played before at the start of the season so you've got to try and balance it and I found that I was getting a huge amount of joy out of watching those newer girls and those developing players get better every week and do something that they hadn't done before so um yeah look it's been brilliant 2019-20 kind of was my start of my journey and um and it's 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 definitely not finished but um my my mind is like a little hamster all the time because i'm learning so much and but it's great i i can kind of picture that now i can kind of picture that and you've hit off a lot of things there in 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 what you said that i wanted to talk about so first of all yeah you said there about the, the buzz of coaching so as a player and a player who played at your level, I'm sure there was a huge buzz that was like associated with running out onto the pitch every time, regardless of the jersey that you were putting on. And then your career, it kind of ended a little bit suddenly. Did you miss that buzz? Was that miss it? Like, how did you feel when that was gone? Yeah, look, I think I was pretty devastated to be sure. Like for sure, I think, to be honest, you know, since 2016-17 season, I'd just had so many bad injuries, you know, hamstring off the bone and then into a torn Achilles straight away was just really difficult to deal with. And I kind of lost, lost a lot of love for the game, I suppose, and um, and pushed myself to get back for that 2018 Six Nations and really didn't enjoy it. So I was kind of thinking in my mind that I'd walk away anyway. Um, but the club, the club coach at the time, Ben Martin, he's coaching Black Rock now, kind of really just like look just give it one more year just come and enjoy playing with your friends again because you kind of lose that as you go up the levels don't you You kind of lose why you started to play the game in the first place um and and I did and you know what I'm so happy that I did because that last season that I got to play was probably the most fulfilling rugby season that I'd had in about five years um I just really enjoyed it I felt like I was back playing to the level that I had reached maybe 13 14 15 seasons um, and I was in really good form and, and then obviously going into that intra-pro, you know, I kind of, 
I didn't have harbour any ambition to get back playing with Ireland. It wasn't that at all. It was just more a case that every time I went out, I just had a huge feeling of fulfilment and enjoyment. Um, and yeah, look, um, got really badly injured in that first game. So that kind of put an end to it. And, and, and to be fair, because of that season and that enjoyment and fulfilment that I'd had, um, I did, I thought I'd get back training for sure. Um, like I thought I would get back playing and stuff when I got injured originally. Um, but when I didn't, it was almost kind of like, do you know what? I got back to the level that I needed to get down in order to have peace in myself. So I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't incredibly lost or anything like that. And the fact that in that kind of six or seven month period where I was trying to rehab that injury, I was coaching the club. I still felt like I was involved and then all of a sudden, without even realizing it, it completely took over my life in terms of the coaching aspects. So um, I went from one extreme to another, to be honest. There was no downtime. But um, so, yeah, look, it wasn't a void that I was I was seeking. That's why I got into coaching. I think I just got into coaching because I wanted to give back to the game and stay involved when I was injured and then realized that I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, so, yeah, so it's a different role in rugby, but does, do you get a similar buzz from it, from being part of that, you know, the, the squad, the, the prepar- preparations, the match day, all that that's going along with it, albeit in a different role? Yeah, I do. But I also get way more nervous now because you can't affect anything, you know, you're on the <laughs> sideline and you've got to trust that uh, those on the pitch can do it. And that's been a really difficult challenge for me because I've li- I would literally be making every tackle and catching every pass with the girls at the start. I was like incredibly animated on the sideline because I felt like that was the only way that I could give energy to the group. But now that I'm um, a little bit, you know, a year or two into it, I'm very aware that if I can, I've got to trust that the work that we've done during the week is enough to get them through the game at the weekend. But it doesn't stop that incredible nervousness feeling. I I don't like it at all. But um, I'm usually, you know, good during the week and, and very prepared. But come the match day, I'm, I'm waiting for the final whistle to blow, to be honest, because I find it, I find it incredibly nerve-wracking. Would you have had nerves like that when you were a player? Yeah, hugely. Yeah, but it would started like three or four days before a match. Um, okay. So, yeah, I used to be filled with a huge amount of dread and anxiety that I wouldn't play well. Um, and uh, Or we would lose. I'm, I'm not a good loser. And, um, um, and like, if I lost, it would take me a while to get over it. So it was all those kind of feelings. And I'd be the one in the corner of the dressing room, white as a ghost, and hugging the toilet bowl probably but um but um and it never really left to me no matter who I was playing for how long I was playing like I played for Ireland for 10 years it never changed it never changed at all but I suppose that's what gave me an edge I knew if I was feeling like that then I was on it yeah absolutely there's a there's a, a huge passion that comes through and with that passion a lot of emotion I suppose uh, what would you say? So now that you're, you're you've switched roles and you're in a coach, do you, uh, if you saw a player who you recognised going through similar things, would you just let them experience it and go through it, or would you try and coach them through it now? No, I think you got to let them go through it. I think every player is unique in terms of how they they prepare for games. For example, like when we were when I was playing with Ireland, we'd be on the bus. There'd be a group at the back that would just tell jokes the whole way to the game. So they would talk like real stupid dad jokes. 
then there was a group in the middle that would just be listening to um, music or, or kind of small little chats with the person beside them. And then there was a group at the front that were stone cold, literally focused, don't talk to anybody. And I think that's really important. You can't really, I think it's, if you try and change people like that, then you're kind of taking away their uniqueness. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that it's important that each player kind of finds a way in. And if it's thing that it's crippling them, then you obviously got to intervene. But if it's not and they're continuing to get better, and, and I've learned a huge amount about that this year because I've um, a real mix in, within the club. So I have girls that are obviously playing for Ireland, but I have college girls too that are um, very much college player, college, you know, people want to experience the college life and stuff. And when things become too intense, they start to come back into themselves. And I found that a big eye opener this year. I think it was really important towards the end of the season for me as we were getting into that nitty gritty, you know, cup semi-final, final stage, um, I had to learn how to make things fun when in training, um, pre-match, uh, warm-up type things, because when I did that, I found that they responded really well to it. Um, whereas if we were talking about, okay, let's go to war for each other and blah, blah, they became very insular and couldn't do it. So that was a, like a big learning for them. I had to go and ask them, like, well, why can't, why are we playing so poorly? Or how come I don't see the best of you? Um, and it was almost a case of, oh, look, it's just, um, I need things to be fun to be able to play well. That's really interesting. So for you as a coach, then obviously you have to adapt your, your coaching style. But do you find that you have to almost have a different persona depending on the t- on the team or the squad that you're coaching with? If it's club, if it's Munster, if it's Ireland, is there, you know, do you approach them differently or do you try to bring uh, a similarity to what you do? No, I think I try just to bring a similarity to everything that I do. I think that, um, look, when I was playing, I was incredibly intense and I'm very much aware of that. So I was the cantankerous player that demanded high standards and and really wanted to, you know, win all the time. Now that I'm coaching on the other side, I'm very, I'm way more mellow. And, um, and players that I played with that I'm now coaching are like literally going, Oh God, like as in where is this person coming from? Like Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. Um, but I'm also very aware that everybody's, you know, people are different and we've got to as a coach, you know, as you go what what changes as you go up the levels is the actual the rugby side of things. So when you're with a club, you've you're way more rugby orientated. Whereas as you go up the the Munster Ireland levels, the, you know their technical abilities would be very good. Then you're talking about building rapports with players in terms of being able to sit down, get to know them, you know, find out what makes them tick, and and use that to get them to play in terms of like at that at that level. I think um, at club, I think it's very much it's almost like a family element. So everybody knows each other because we spend so much time together. We train two or three days a week. We play a match at the weekend. So you all, you, you, you automatically get to know these players just clearly by spending time with them. Whereas it's very much um, rugby focused because you're trying to improve and develop players that are at a lower standard. Whereas at international level, monster level, I think it's really important that, especially as I'm not the head coach, you can be the person then that bridges that gap between you know the head coach and and that playing group yeah that's really interesting there I've never really thought of it like that I guess I thought well and instinctively you might think at international level it is all about the technicalities and the minutiae the fine details of the sport but as you say there that's the, the, the what motivates the individual what's going to help them they're already good players that's why they're there 
what's going to help get the extra bit out of them. That's the personality side of things. Yeah, absolutely. And look, the head coach will drive that minutia and that detail. That's what their role is. Um, and while you jump in and help in every way you can, it's off the pitch where your role, I think, where my role will 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 probably be different to, to Greg's, I think, because Greg's million miles an hour in terms of trying to make sure that everything is planned. And, and, and you know from your job as well, you've got to make sure that everything is, is good. Whereas I can walk away from from our coach's room and walk in to, like, I don't know if you've ever been up in the, the high-performance facilities in the RFU, but they're absolutely class. But I could go in and walk in for a coffee and, and chat to the girls and you get a feeling for how they are and, and what they are, what they're doing and where they're in college. And and, and to be fair, with this group, I don't know a huge amount of them. Um, so it's, it's a big learning for me too. But I think that that's really important because um, you definitely have to have some link along the way. Yeah, we you, you reminded me that when we were at, at at some big competitions over the years uh, with different sports. I remember one of the sports psychologists I work with, um, we needed a room to do our work in and he was offered a room, but he didn't want us. He said, no, no, I'm OK. And I was thinking, how are you, how are you going to do anything if you don't have somewhere to work? And then over the next couple of days, I realized he was doing all his work, walking down a corridor with someone having breakfast with someone, you know, sitting down in the lobby of the hotel. It was, you know, it was little snippets and bits of small pieces of, of, uh, of, of connection with the people here and there. And that's where he was making his most, or doing his most impactful work with the players. And we've had a few students come back from placement who found similar things. Uh, one guy was over in the States doing nutrition with an American football team and he came back with the same impression. He said, yeah, it's not always just sitting down and giving a PowerPoint presentation to someone to try and educate them. It's little, little chats that you have here and there. That's what's important. Yeah, hugely. And and I think that that's been a big learning for me from coaching point of view, I think, because um, from a from a playing point of view, I was I was insular. I was definitely an introvert. I wasn't um, off the pitch. I was very much um, happy to sit in my own company and, and go through videos and analysis or read a book. And um, whereas the you know, the coaching side thing, I think it's really important that you build that connection because once you get onto the pitch, it, you know, there, it's, it's rugby and, you know, you could be, you know, trying to improve a player, you could be criticizing the player for lack of effort or whatever it is, but it's important that once you come off the pitch that they know that what's on the pitch has happened, whereas it's, it's off the pitch, you can chat about anything you want and you, it doesn't have to be about rugby, it can be about college or nutrition or whatever it is and and I think that that kind of relationship is really really important to me and I never really thought about it when I was playing because I never really sought it out um and um but now that I'm coaching I think it's really really important is this something that you find you've had like a pretty steep learning curve I think it's fairly safe to say in, in your coaching career um is this do you find that these things are coming naturally to you or are you having to think about them and act, you know action them or are they just things you're figuring you're you're, you're trying it out and saying oh that worked and, and sticking with it yeah look I no I'm I'm, I'm very much like I'm a planner so like okay. I'm a, I don't know if you've ever done that insights thing where I'm a blue like I'm just like have to be very analytical and, and a planner so um I plan everything down to a mining detail in terms of the unstuff field stuff for for a bowl session but also um any of my roles when in Ireland and Munster. Um, but the off the pitch stuff is something that I'm constantly forcing myself to do. I think you've got to get out of your comfort zone to be able to um to be develop and be better. And I'm very aware that I'm very much at a lower rung of my coaching journey and I have a huge amount to learn and to experience. 
But I think that if I continue to sit within my coach, my comfort zone, then I will never get better and then they won't get the best of me. And that's a really difficult thing to do because I was never somebody that when I was younger, I would sit in my comfort zone for everything. As a school child, as, you know, secondary school, college, I was very much um, a comfort zone type player and I was person and I was happy enough to kind of stand in the background and allow things to happen and, and kind of watch and observe. I think... I made the decision when I started coaching that this was a path that I really wanted to explore and experience. And, um, and because I love rugby, I will talk about rugby all day, every day. And I think that in order for me then to be able to give back to the game, I thought, okay, how can I affect change the best way? I'm not somebody that knows a huge amount that's going on off the pitch. Um, and nor does it, not that it doesn't interest me, but it's something that I would rather be talking about rugby. So I was okay, the best way I can affect change is to continue to coach and coach. At the time I was coaching like under 17s with the Nice Munster thing. And then, um, and I, I was really enjoying it. And therefore, you know, I, I try and seek out other sports too, a huge amount. So I'll go and observe a lot. Um, and then um, on my days off from my normal day job um, in Limerick, I will go and, and jump in with the, a Munster MTS or academy session where I'm learning from coaches that are absolutely brilliant and able to take away a huge amount from that. You say so, and there's again, I can, I'm picturing you doing all this. A part of me thinks that we need to have an intervention here, that you've got a, <laughs> you know, a little bit of a rugby addiction, perhaps. Um, but on a more serious note, so when you, you know, you say you're a planner, how important then uh, you, you plan, you implement, what about self reflection at the end of the day or at the end of a session? Yeah, hugely. I look for affirmation from players all the time. I think it's really important for me because because I'm learning and very much in a head coaching role that probably came a year or two early. And I know that and I'm very aware of that. So I have a leadership group within the club that I'll often say, OK, are we happy with that session? I'll talk to um, another coach or the S&C and say, OK, you know, was I right? Was I wrong? You know, where are we going? And um, are we on the right track? And that's really important for me because um, I have, we've all been coached by brilliant coaches, but we've also been coached by coaches that we're thinking like I've no, you know, I would definitely not do it that way. And I think that I, I want to be the type of coach that is open to getting better. Like that's what I want. I want to, I want to be one of like when I was a player, I want to be the best coach. And in order for me to be the best coach, then I have to be open to criticism, critiques from um, my peers, my, the players that I that I coach. And um, and hopefully then, you know, I will continue to improve as opposed to just stay stagnant. That's a big thing for me. And I know I'm only new to it, but I, I don't want to be a stagnant coach. I want to continue to innovate and, um, and be energized by probably developing good rugby players and good people. That like it's a, it is a skill to be able to seek out and then to take on feedback like that without without getting particularly if it's negative feedback like everyone loves great feedback but if someone is giving you a critique not to get defensive about it is do you think is that something I can imagine as a player you know your performances are scrutinized there's people writing about your performances is that something that you developed over time um, or is it something that 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 you're 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 getting to grips with now. I think you're more getting to grips with it now. I think the the time when I started playing rugby for Ireland and when I finished was night and day. When I started playing rugby for Ireland, nobody knew we had an Irish women's rugby team. By the time I finished, it was on television and um, there was a huge amount of 
articles and social media posts and and look that's where the time changed within 10 years it was obviously a you know a huge evolution of society in terms of women's sport and also social media um, and that was difficult you know to take but I also used to say to the girls you know we want to be seen as good rugby players relevant of our gender we want parity and equality then we've got to be able to take the good with the bad and you know, we one thing stuck out to me hugely is we got to the World Cup semi final in two thousand and thirteen, two thousand and fourteen, and we lost to England, not having played very well. Me personally too, have one of my worst games of the tournament, and um, and I couldn't, you know, afterwards in the papers it was like, weren't they great just to get there? Like there was nothing about the actual performance, and there was nothing about the individual and. And that was a real big eye-opener for me about where we were in terms of, um, I suppose, in terms of women's sport and, and journalism and the media side of things. And then, so if you're looking for that, then you can't be defensive and upset about what comes after it because it's what you want. And as as a group, we want to be you know, known as good athletes and good rugby players, irrelevant of our gender. And I think that you've got to take the good and the bad with that. So it was difficult. And I know lots of players struggled with it when it exploded onto the social media scene. Whereas now as a coach, my the outside noise doesn't bother me at all. I think it's very important to, and it's human nature. You know, you want people to like you and you want um, you know, people to be friends with you and you want to be friends with everybody that just can't be the case and that's not life and um, that probably took me more of a time to get an understanding and, and used to I used to think you know they don't know me and um, like I'm like I'm friendly and I get on with everybody how why would they you know not be friends with me and um, whereas um, now it's just a case of okay within our group and and the players that I coach they're getting better all the time we're doing a good job more important for me as opposed to the rugby the culture and the environment is really really good and I think that when that is good um, you're you're onto a winner yeah it's it's interesting and that leads nicely on so obviously what, what you're saying there about the evolution of the game since you started when you started your international career to where it is now um yesterday was international women's day and built around that we've got women in sport week which is dedicated to celebrating women who play coach officiate volunteer and work in women's sports i think that covers off all of the things that you do in sport <laughs> there um and i think over the years i think that you've been a re- you genuinely i believe that you've been a massive ambassador for women's sport all the way through your career i'm sure you didn't start out your career saying right i'm going to be an ambassador for women's sport it was something that just happens and through through the, your, your 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 performances on the pitch and your their prolific nature in the sport that you chose um you 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 became that ambassador so is this something that you became more aware of, like as that social media, as the, the not just social media, the media attention grew on the on the, the squads that you were playing with as social media became more of a thing? Is that something that you became more aware of your role uh, and, and your presence uh, and, and the, uh, the the the, the um, you acting as a role model for, for girls or for any players watching? Yeah, look, it's a really, you know, it's actually a really good question. I, I, I think it, it took me probably till I finished playing, till I sat back and thought, um, oh, like, I'm see, I'm seeing girls now at 18 and 19, right, that are 20 years, 21 years of age, coming into Irish camp or Munster camp or Pose. 
And they started playing rugby on the back of that 13 Grand Slam year. And then the 14 World Cup and the 15 Six Nations. And that's where you go, whoa, like that was really cool to be a part of something like that. At the time, I, I was aware at the time, maybe, maybe like 15, 16, 17, I was aware of, of, of the legacy that we could have create could create and, and grow the game and and that there was an, an, an onus on us almost to to fulfill that. I, I definitely was aware of it. I don't think I was in the early parts, you know, around that 12, 13 kind of era. That was just crazy. And um and in around that time as well, I was just so focused on on the rugby and, and being better that I never really thought about any of the off-pitch stuff and probably to my own detriment too, to be fair, in terms of all the injuries. But um, yeah, I I was aware towards the end of my career, 100%. And, and when you went and run at Donnybrook and there was, you know, three or 4,000 people there and 50% of them are young girls and they're mad keen to meet you afterwards and all they want is a signature or a picture. That that used to blow my mind because I was like, okay, we're definitely doing something good here, and this is, and and I used to obviously talk to schools and you talk to to groups and you talk to underage clubs or whatever. And big thing for me was that look, I'd obviously loved every girl to be playing rugby, but it's more important for me that every girl played a sport in terms of we're active and and um and you know how we deal with young girls playing sport is really different to young boys. Boys are very competitive. That's what they want. They want the competition. And I'm not saying girls don't. But the reason why most of them get into sport in the first place is because their friends are and they enjoy it. And I think we've got to find a way, you know, it's really important to find a way that you find a balance between the competitiveness and the enjoyment factor. Like when I was young, I played for competitiveness. That was clear and simple. I wanted to win all the time. It wasn't for an enjoyment factor at all. Like I enjoyed winning and that was like basically it. And I think it took me a long time to realize when I was 15, 16 years of age playing county football and club football at home and camogie that some girls just like to play because they wanted to play. Not, not a, and I think that playing rugby for young girls and, and the role model thing, it's really important that we stress the enjoyment and the fulfillment and the friendship side of it um, um, whilst finding a balance with competitive nature because I think um, competition gives you life lessons and like not everybody can be a winner and I it drives me, it used to drive me insane almost in terms of when you go to a fifth, fourth, third, fourth class blitz or whatever it was, and everybody got a medal. And I used to be thinking, they've, they've learned nothing from that. But then I'm also realizing now that I'm finished playing, how important it is that they all get a medal. So it's yeah. almost like the evolution of, 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 um, of the importance. Yeah. Yeah. Of my thinking very much. And I'm not sure that answer your question very well, but that's kind of... No. It is. It's really interesting to hear you talk about this. I, like, it's part of a, a, another question I was going to ask you later on. Like, so how the importance of expanding the participation base? Like, not everyone who who picks up a rugby ball is going to be an international player, but they can play for other reasons. And if you expand that base, if you have bigger clubs with you know uh, more uh, girls and women's play women playing, then that will filter up to to to, to the top of the, the triangle there, at the top of the pyramid. Um, and but it's that participation base is really really important. Yeah, it is, and I think that that is like 
that is the, the has to be the very foundation of everything that happens in that domestic side and the pathways that we put in place for young girls and, and women's play rugby. I think that it's so important. And, um, it, and you know, it only took me to this year to realize that um, coaching uh, Bose, we have, you know, two teams for the first time ever. And the development team are very much, all they just want to do is play rugby. They don't want to go and play for Munster and they don't want to go and play for Ireland. And um, and and some girls only want to play AIL. And I found that really strange. I was just like, well, why don't you want to go? And, and that's because I want to do other things in my life. And I'm thinking, oh, oh that you can do that completely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and, you've, and I completely and utterly respect that. And you know what? They are the girls that still turn up they get to turn up to the most sessions. They come every week. They never miss it because they love playing it, but they're happy enough to play it and then walk away. Um, so I think that that's really important. And um, it's a huge thing. And I know there's a huge amount of work going on on the ground from an RFE perspective at the domestic level in terms of all the provinces. And there's a huge amount of clubs popping up and a huge amount of young girls playing. And I think that we've got to continue to drive the fun, enjoyment, participation side of it. Um, but find a balance for that competitive side. And if that's the case, that it's a representative underage team that drives competitiveness. Whereas your club team drives the, in, drives the participant, participation and enjoyment, then there's a good balance for that. Yeah, there'd be a nice harmony between the two then. Um, I think on that, like, you know, looking forward, there's there's a lot of big tournaments. I was doing a bit of prep for a, a, a little class task that I want some of my students to do. And like this year, just behind women's sport in general, there's a, there's a, well, I think for the last couple of years, there has been good, really good momentum. But this year, like there's a lot of big tournaments. You've got the, the Women's Cricket World Cup has actually just started this week. You know, we've got other events that have a big female participation, Wimbledon, the World Athletics Championships. My son is soccer mad and he can't wait for the Women's Euros to start in July. And I, I love that because he is just, it's soccer. He doesn't yeah. differentiate. He just wants to see soccer. The more matches he can watch, he is happy to watch men play, women play, boys, girls, whatever. He just yeah. loves the sports. And I really want to hold on to that uh, for, for him and, and for his younger brother as well. But like they're mad for it. And then we've got the Women's Rugby World Cup. I know obviously uh, it's it's disappointing that there'd be no Irish uh, uh, team playing there. But perhaps one, uh, will you be involved in some way, a punditry or commentary or doing anything at like that? Do you know at this stage whether you'll be involved? Yeah, I, I'm not sure, to be honest. I don't know whether to, to you know, uh, if Ireland aren't in it, then, you know, do anybody within Ireland take the rights, TV rights for it? Uh, I, I don't know. That's definitely something oh, that's September. I just assumed. So, yeah, you would, but I, I, I'm really not, I, I actually don't know, to be honest. And I've not really thought past the last weekend of April, to be honest, because my life is so of crazy. Um, but yeah, there is a huge amount on though. Uh, it is, and I think that momentum is brilliant. And I think, you know, things like the, the Women in Sport Week and having high visibility uh, yeah. tournaments like that and having, you know, there'll be multiple role models coming out of each of those sports and each of those tournaments. I think it can only be a good thing in, uh, in, in you know, aiming for a bit more balance and parity uh, between the genders when it comes to sports. Yeah, hugely. I think the first, you know, the big thing that broke the mold a huge amount for me was that 20 by 20 campaign because it was so visible and like a slogan of can't see, can't be was just so, so good. And I think that drove a huge amount because then you started to see 
male, you know, sports stars coming out speaking about their daughters and how important it was for them. And, you know, the likes of Brian Driscoll and Paula Connell have basically said, like, until they had daughters, they never really thought about women in sport, which um, is probably a conversation for another day. But, um, yeah, so from that aspect, I, I thought that was huge. And it's just, it, it, it increased a huge amount of visibility. And I think for young girls, it's very difficult to picture, you know, when they turn on, you know, Sky Sports on a Saturday and it's men's premiership and, it's, you know, um, TG Carr have been brilliant in they've broken the mold in terms of women's sport for me. Um, but like other than TG Carr for a long time, unless you had something like an Olympics or a World Athletics Championships or Wimbledon, you probably didn't see a huge amount of women on the same airtime as the men. Um so, you know, how could they expire to be anything when, you know, their brother is sitting beside them and he's able to watch um, boys and men play soccer like in terms of gender? And I think the, you know, the ladies' Gaelic football being on Tichy Cahar to Wimbledon, obviously, and all these athletics, and then you're looking at the rugby and now the soccer. I think it's huge. And I think it's so, so important that you're literally saying to any young girl, like, that, that you can be what there you want is, to be. Here it is, yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's so, so important. So on that then, the, the Six Nations that you're currently preparing for, they that used to run in parallel uh, with the men's Six Nations. And I think, was it over, was it on lockdown that changed? Yeah, last year. Last year was the first last year, year Yeah, last year was the first year changed. So now it is a separate but similar tournament. It's just run at a, a completely separate time point. It's starting at the end of this month. Um, I'm sure you've got a countdown to, to kick off probably somewhere going. Um, but how do you, yeah, how do you feel about that now having a completely separate tournament for the Women's Six Nations um, and, and not being, you know, packaged into the weekend, the Six Nations weekend? Yeah, I think it's brilliant. I think we got a huge amount. We had like a a revised type of tournament last year because of COVID. So not everybody played each other. Whereas, but the, the actual separate window was huge and we, you know, got a huge amount of viewership. Um, lots of people tuned in having never seen women's rugby before, because let's face it, you know, the men's look, it's class and it earns a huge amount of revenue and sponsorship and ticket sales and everything. So that that's like, and it's the main thing. So, and the 20s were on the same weekend as well. So you were always fighting for not only TV rights, but also print, you know, and often that's a really difficult thing to do. And um, so to have it into its, its its own window was huge and it will continue to grow the sport, I feel. And um, the big thing for me is, and look, big sponsors like TikTok coming on board now, which I don't know what that is, but someone assures me it's it's very good and um, it's like the new I range did. of Twitter. I did my first TikTok last week, I'll have you know. Oh, impressive, <laughs> impressive. I'm, I'm the, girls, the kids in the camp are telling me they don't need to sign up for it. I haven't a clue what it is, but um, so yeah, um, stuff like that are huge and they're way more important now. The fact that there's, you know, it's on TV and it's, it's starting to, it's starting to grow the game to such an extent that in the next four or five years, I'd imagine it's going to go professional. And I think that that's going to be where it's going. So the more that it's out there as a standalone thing, the bigger it is. And um, so, yeah, I think it's, 
the feedback from last year was so much was was brilliant in terms of viewerships and everything because I, I worked for TE for it and um and when you're getting success like that um well then look the only sensible thing to do is to continue to do it yeah it like it, it does come down like it is business there's commerce involved at the end of the day so if there's you know unfortunately it, it needs a revenue but if it can generate revenue that's amazing i know i was i was thinking about this a lot over the last couple of days before i spoke to you and i used to for my own selfish reasons i used to like having you know a nice neat little package of rugby over the course of a weekend where there's a couple of matches that you could you know watch back to as mo- well as much as possible watch watch all the rugby but then i i you know, and I, I kind of don't know how to express this properly, but I think when we had with the, the, the under 20s and, and the men's sitting side by side together, that kind of makes sense because the under 20s is a stepping stone to yeah. the men's. But then I think having the women's put in, the women's uh, Six Nations put in there as well, it it kind of created a le- like almost levels and the, you know you said that that you might think that oh the men's is the, the top level and the yeah. under 20s is someone and the women's is in the middle but now that it's been pulled out i think it can be separated and given it, it could be held up properly equal and it's not just sandwiched in between other matches and i think that's important and i, and I hadn't considered that before yeah no to be fair i hadn't either because when i was playing i loved it because you got the buzz like people were doubling for the weekend they'd come along to our games and it was um it was it was brilliant but you know the last year you know we're so irish aren't we? we hate change but when it did change um, and we realized that it was good um i think it's brilliant and it, it also it, it just it makes it a little bit unique for the players. I and mean, I never really thought about that either. You know, it's their tournament standalone. It's not, you know, fighting for, and you know, support or numbers at the gate, the grounds because of, and you're, you're almost, I felt at times we were not, not begging people, but you'd always, there'd always be a post. So if anybody's in Dublin for this weekend's game, you know, come along to Donnybrook or Energia Park as it is now, or Ashburn when it was back in the day. And I just, I, I like the fact that where people will be coming to Dublin, Cork and Belfast to see our games. Mm. I think that that's pretty unique. Um, so yeah, I, I expect that the tournament will continue to grow um, in its own window for sure. Yeah, it is. It's exciting. So on that, aside from your own participation with the with the women's team, what what excites you about the future of rugby? Um, I think obviously it's a really developing sport. So you can see a huge amount of development and change within a very short period of time. I think that that that's that's pretty unique. I think I feel like there'll be, you know, an explosion of huge amount of talent coming up through 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 the ranks over the next two or three years because um you know being involved with Munster under Ian a couple of years ago and, and seeing the other provinces and how how many good players there are like that's gonna be really cool. And on the back side of that then competition drives up and when competition drives up players get better. So I'm really excited for that. I I am really excited to see good players being competitive. I'm really excited to see um you know the national team getting back to to where they need to be um i think that's that's huge i'm also really excited to see you know this year for the first year as an under 18 six nations tournament and ireland are putting a team in and that gives me great hope of of developing the game and and creating pathways for the next generation so i i think i think we're at a stage now almost obviously 
it's been a turbulent couple of years for, for the Irish women or the RFU in terms of women's rugby. I just feel like we're at a stage now where we've stepped over that line that was drawn. Um, we've got a blank canvas and, and we can go and paint it the way we want. And I think that, you know, it's important that we can continue to drive the game forward to develop it at pathways so that it's sustainable at elite level. I think that's really important. Yeah, I, I think, like I said, there is momentum uh, and I think there are certain things aligning, like you said, between the, the structure of the tournaments, between sponsorship coming in. And I think it will be really exciting to watch women's rugby over the next couple of years and see where Irish women's rugby in particular uh, ends up. Yeah, look, hugely, I think. Um, obviously, we're disappointed not to be in a World Cup in September, October, but I think the focus for us now has to be the next World Cup. It's only three years away. So we've got to we've got to focus on that. Yeah, and I know you, you can package these things up whatever way you want, but maybe not having this immediate tournament to focus on gives you a longer build up phase where some really good quality work can be done and just get stuck into the next one. That's the way it is, really, isn't it? Yeah, look, I think you've got to learn from the hurt, though. You've got to take that with you. Like if I was, in, you know playing I'd be carrying that and then even if you weren't involved in the previous year you just carry that that you, that's a big focal point for you for the next three years in terms of your plan and, and what you're looking to do um but I also think that um you know the way the game is going now so come next year this global xv tournament happening and um Ireland have to really um, hope to be in the top tier of that because if you're in the top tier of that then you play good, against good opposition every year and that's going to be hugely important for the development of the game And um, but like I came away from camp last Sunday absolutely buzzing uh, buzzing about the, the talent that's out there and the culture and the environment that's been building for the last few weeks for us and, and knowing that you know if the culture and the environment is good and I, I think it almost it almost gives you an extra few percent, and I feel like that that when we played into you know 2013, 14, 15, that kind of successful periods, we had such a good bond and the spirit within the group, and such a good culture off it that you know we were very much aware. Like England were so far ahead of us in terms of development, but we were very much aware that we mightn't be the best rugby players but we were so close-knit that we could be the best together and that propelled us then to go and win things and I think that that stuff like that um, is a little bit understated we don't speak about that a huge amount um, but um, I think if we can get that right for this tournament then irrelevant of, of the results on the pitch I think then that we're we're definitely in a good place in a, and have made a good start. Yeah, I'm really excited to see how things go for you. So we've got the Six Nations kicking off on the 26th of March, your first match versus Wales. So that's when uh, we might see, well, if anyone wants to keep up with you, that is the date to check out. And also, uh, Neve is involved in her own podcast, the Red 78 podcast with Alan Quinlan, uh, which I highly recommend as well. So if you enjoyed listening to Neve today, uh, you can hear more of her uh, and her, her passion for rugby uh, and her arguments with Alan Quinlan uh, on that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Neve, listen, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me today. It's been fascinating. I feel like we could go for another 40 minutes, but uh, I, I think we'll call it a day there and maybe I will check in again with you uh, in, in the near future and see how things are going. Would love that. Would love it, Bruce. Thanks so many for having me. Appreciate your time.
It's funny, when I was a student, I always imagined myself working with rugby, but other opportunities presented themselves and now rugby is actually one of the sports that I've never worked with. I feel genuinely honoured that Neve was so generous with her time today. I am in awe of her as an athlete and now as a coach. Her passion for rugby is so clear, she has literally immersed herself in it. I think this will really stand to her as she progresses through her coaching career. Hopefully her passion will allow her to love her new role for many years to come. I think she's also in a unique position. Neve can definitely bridge the gap between head coach and players. It's not long ago that she was in the players' boots, and with that wealth of experience fresh in her mind and ready to be shared, I think the future looks bright for Irish women's rugby as long as Neve's involved. Okay, that's it for today. If you're a diehard and still listening, you may as well do one more thing and press that share button. It's great to spread the word and build our audience. As always, if you'd like to get in touch, then you can catch me on Instagram at B underscore wardrop. I always welcome the feedback on each episode. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you in the next one.